Good morning. My name is Kelly Tarasovich, and this morning's reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come to you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them that the, ta- the time when the star had first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And then they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and we continue in our Christmas sermon series, a mini-series, um, about the cast of Christmas. So we're going to be looking, and have been looking, um, Pastor Josh um, preached the, the first two um, in this series, and I'll be preaching this one and next week. And um, I had a gr- just an awesome opportunity um, and had a good time at West Charlotte Church, our daughter church. Um, it was bittersweet. It was good being over there, but it was to say goodbye to Charles and Charlotte McKnight. And um, so continue to pray for your daughter church um, over there and as they go through transition at this time. And um, so let's, let's get into the word here. Um, as you know, the nativity is one of the most 
like, I guess, a, a top seller and one of the most popular presented scenes during Christmas, probably second only to the Christmas tree. You see it on lawns, you see it on mantles and foyer tables across this country. You know, you got baby Jesus, Joseph, Mary, and three or four wise men help keep it real and keep things spiritual on Christmas. And they, for the most part, have not changed over the years, right? More often than not, there's a, in my experience anyway, a blue-eyed, sometimes blonde-haired Mary and baby, a dark-headed or red-headed Irish, maybe Saxon-looking dude as Joseph, right? Some well-behaved Disney-like animals that neither smell of barnyard waste. And, are, and you can't tell if they're making rude or loud snot or slobber-producing noises, right? And with them, the wise men who serve as protection against civil right litigation because among these very European Middle Eastern Asians, can't even say that right, we have at least one among the wise men who is non-white, right? At least one. One black-skinned man with hair too straight to be all the way Negro, or, or maybe he is an Asian dude with a nose that's too long or straight to be fully Chinese or Korean, shrouded in racial obscurity, that third wise man stands as them. And saves the nativity sets from being called racist. In fact, one out of about seven makes it multi-ethnic. <laughs> it is the wise men who brings diversity and multi to most of our Christmases. The word token wise men come to mind for some reason, but the magi. The wise men were more than tokens of God's political correctness. They represented God's power through the light of his son Jesus to draw and save and rule the world. But unlike our wise men sitting on the shelf once a year, their presence, these wise men, presence was, was far from neat and rightly placed, as you can tell in our story. In the Christmas story in the Bible, it is they we can sort of blame or rather thank for making and revealing that Christmas, right? The light of Christmas shows a messy world who need and have a Messiah and Savior for them. These magi might have been wise leaders. And so we began to research it a little bit and more might have been wise leaders and ambassadors and royal representatives of the kings or, or possibly even the royalty of their countries. But they were led by a vague spiritual intuition and maybe some, you know, teaching or, or scriptures left over from Daniel and, and, and those guys when, when there was conquering of Israel by the Babylonians and the Syrians and then, you know, there was uh, exile and people coming back and forth and serving and there was a, a, a mix of understanding of what was going on among the Hebrews and among themselves. 
but, but led by a vague spiritual intuition and a belief in the divine right of kings, their diplomacy and entrance into Metro Jerusalem was anything but a conspicuous following of a star and a dream. Kind of help you understand it. They, they did a Waze or Google star map search, right? They didn't have the street address. They just had a general area where they could find Jesus. They didn't know he was staying at 316 Manger Inn, right? Bethlehem, Israel. The map only showed a suburb of Jerusalem. See, Bethlehem was like the Huntersville, right? Or, the, or it was south, I think. Or, or the Matthews, rather, of Jerusalem. It was a suburb, and thus the star was from afar over one region until they pulled closer. Some commentaries suggest that this group of magi, ambassadors from the east, most likely thought then it was possibly, hear this, a newborn son of Herod's, or maybe a nephew who was to become the king of the Jews. Since, as the king of Judea under the Roman Empire, Herod alone was the only one who could be thought of as king of the Jews. You see, their journey to Jerusalem was about coming to kiss the ring of the new coming king. And don't take the worship thing too far when they said we were coming to worship. This is not what we would consider modern day Christian worship. This worship was about giving respect to royalty according to an ancient pagan belief in the spirituality of kingship. It was also the right thing, though, the wise thing to do, considering the devastating, conquering nature of the Roman Empire. Why were they wise? Why were they wise? Well, we know from, uh, in, from 2020 vision, as we look back at the story, they were wise to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We can put that on them. But at that moment, they were wise because it was wise to make sure you had a good diplomatic relationship with a coming king as powerfully described as the one that would come. But not only that, I mean, think about Herod, right? If, if this king was anything like Herod, Herod was the kind of king you didn't want to have a beef with. Herod, think about what Herod did, right? He had his wife strangled. He had his sons executed. He had a popular priest drowned when it looked like he was getting too much attention. Now get this. He had nobles deemed to be executed like it was written in. Kill these dudes at my death so that there would be a lot of mourning at my funeral. Right? Where people really crying for all the people dead. But we want to make sure there's a lot of mourning. A national day of mourning for me. They, the Magi, were believing they were paying proper homage to the king of the Jews, who's possibly just another vassal puppet, puppet king of the Roman Empire, and thus one of the kingpins, the Judean plaza and corner boss. They were, according to the prophecy from the scriptures of the Hebrews, probably got some of their stuff, like I said, from Daniel. But it was a prophecy that hyped this new king as a revolutionary of sorts. So they seek to start the relationship off right. Basically, they were there to protect theirs. 
And those they led, they were wise. And on top of this, they were spiritualist. They were honoring the word and God of Israel. And get this, this is the crazy thing. They didn't hide their coming. Look, with, look at verse 3 again with me. It says, when Herod heard, that, that, actually verse um, 2, uh, wise men came from the east in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Worship him, excuse me. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod heard, the Bible says. Understand, for what was probably a two-year journey through treacherous and dangerous lands, no doubt these wise men probably came with an entourage of servants and guards and supplies. And I am willing to bet they looked a little out of place. On one hand and on the other, vaguely familiar as the Babylons, Babylonians and Assyrians who at one point had conquered and exiled the Jews, maybe that's why they were seeking, right? They weren't from around those parts, though. You know, I, the vision I have in my head is coming to America, right? They rolled up like the king of Zamunda. Rolling through and walking into the barber shops and grocery stores of Israeli boroughs and neighborhoods asking, where's the king of the Jews, right? And their search, their present causes a social and political mess. Back at the throne room of Herod. Word has gotten back. And it was like, who are they looking for? I am the king of the Jews. And I could see the scribes kind of sheepishly, you know, caused, because it was deadly to, to offend Herod, saying, Master, right? It says the prophecies, it says in the prophecies of the Hebrews that the king will be born in Bethlehem, the Messiah, which means he is the one who comes to take out cruel leaders like you. Someone's born that's going to take it and stick it to the man, you. And of course, Herod the man uses the oppressive system to weed this challenger to his family's grip out of the throne, on the throne out, which didn't excite most respectable Jews. Now understand this. That's why all of Israel was troubled with Herod. Most Jews in Jerusalem didn't want any revolutionaries causing trouble. Yet when Jesus came, it wasn't like a whole bunch of Jews stood up and said, yay, all right. No, they knew if they stood up and said, yay, all right, they would get mowed down. And many had gone ahead and folded into Roman culture and, and society and were making money and, and, and had already begun to, to, to grab hold of the Roman Greco dream. And so, especially again, like for those that the Roman thing was paying dividends and offering good, payable, stable government jobs, it would just make more trouble for them to have a competing Messiah, a competing king. And literally, all hell breaks loose, right? When these magi don't return to Herod, to tell him the location of the so-called new king of the Jews, he orders genocide. Look at these verses, verse 16 and 17. It says here, 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked, because he asked the wise men after they had seen, you know, the king of the Jews, Jesus, and hey, hey, I want to worship him too. And they're like, nope, right? They went a different way. And so the Bible says when Herod realized that he was tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then will fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jerusalem. I mean, prophet Jeremiah, sorry. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were, they are no more. You know, I remember back when September 11th happened. Y'all remember that? Everybody was looking for anybody who looks Arab. Remember that? It was terrible. Even light-skinned brothers, right? From round the way, just close enough. But this was thousands of infants and toddlers killed. You know where it started? With seekers of the king of the Jews. I mean, they're coming to the right place. Maybe they thought Herod and his people would convoy and carpool over with them to where the king of the Jews was born. Coming to Herod was a good thing, but these wise men obviously realized that returning to him with the location of Jesus was not so good. I'm talking you through this story on a very human level, but I want, you to, I want to take you to a place that is very familiar to us. When people are blindly and obscurely looking for and seeking, even testing out truth or looking for understanding, it is often messy and can be dangerous. When we are looking for truth that we are unsure of, it will rock the religious and traditional power structures. This reminds me of Red when he came looking for his bike on Friday, right? He was right to look for the bike. Sorry, I'm too old for some of y'all. But it makes the bully mad, right? Look what happens here, and it's crazy. God orchestrates and calls. We'll get to the how in a minute. These so-called wise men to disturb and stress the system, which in turn stirs up sinful tendencies and anger and death. When people assert their, their, their rights to, to journey spiritually or politically on our turf in churches in God's country, let me tell you, war between people will be charged and led by those of us who see our personal control, privilege, and security, which includes our religious hold on things that we have made sacred. We will fight and kill each other over it. Just push a button and see, right? LGBTQ plus, right? CRT, Black Lives Matter, choice, no choice, Trump, AOC, January 6th, white supremacy, black on black crime, 
justice, reparations, prayer, choice, war, you know, Jesus as the only way. Heck, right now, Merry Christmas. Right? Some of you are afraid to ask your questions. Some of you are afraid to ask and admit what you believe to journey into religious territory because of the mess it will cause. Some of us are afraid we'll get crucified or mistreated. Maybe by me. Maybe I'm scary. Right? You know, Pastor Brown seems a little heavy on the race thing, and I'm afraid to ask him some questions, right? Like, we're, we're all kind of afraid. As a believer, even more so as a pastor of this church, so that your questions may lead you to the truth, let the journey begin. In this place, in this church, among these people here at Christ Central Church, I want you to ask your question. I want you to come with the knowledge you do have and know with your lifestyle and religious leadings that brought you here because the confusion and chaos and loss of control it may bring as Herod learned and we should know will not and do not destroy or kill or take out the Lord who I believe is God. Will not take out his place. Your questions, your spiritual wanderings will not take away his power. It will not remove his salvation and his love for people like you and me and them. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus does not need to have his name in the title of the holiday to survive. He doesn't need it to survive as a truth. He doesn't need to have cashiers say, Merry Christmas. He doesn't even need to be in a nativity set. He doesn't need to have you know it all or be settled in it all. Take away the terms, the subjects, and predications and even take, you know, this world spotlight off of him. And I believe as the story teaches, his star will still shine. Because he, Jesus, is the Lord of all and the true light of the world. You know, there's been a lot of back and forth about sexuality within our churches. Even if it's just how to handle it. You know, I had a lunch with somebody the other day and they were like, Howard, you know, what if someone comes in and says this? Right? And I'm like, hmm, I, I, I don't know. There's no way your church is going to survive believing this or believing that or not believing this and not believing that. I've said this for years. Feel free, wherever you are on the spectrum, the sexuality spectrum, to journey with the rest of us, seekers of the king. Where else can you go? Where else can I send you? Follow the light. Sexuality is a journey. Whether you're binary, non-binary, hetero, or homosexual, we are all coming from different directions, from the east, from the west sexually, from the north and south. I have one thing to say, though. Come and seek and worship the one who is king, and I have to believe that he will prove himself to you in the way that he needs to. I have nothing to prove to you personally. 
I'm seeking him too for my own sexuality, right? It ain't perfect. It ain't there. Which means if the nativity scenes are better yet, the scriptures are correct. Jesus is teaching that Christmas, the celebration of his birth, is a call for a welcome all, welcome them holiday. Christmas is not about putting up fences. It's about setting the path. Why do you think you have Christmas lights on your house? Right? It represents the light in a dark world. Come, follow that, go there. Not, don't come here. Look who comes to him. Not the Jews. Not the scribes. Now, I'm all, I don't want to totally throw out the fact that God has already talked to his people. He done been to Mary. He done been to Joseph. He done been to Zechariah. He done been to the, 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 um, the um, shepherds in the field. So I'm not trying to say that God hasn't talked to his people. All right? But look who comes to him. Right? Not the Jews. Wow, not the scribes who knew better, who are, I mean, think about it. Herod says, tell me about the king of Jews. These dudes step right up. We know about it. Why ain't y'all out there worshiping? Right, so it wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the scribes, the the big time theologians of the day who knew better, but the magi. And I will tell you that if we wanted to clean up Christmas a bit, make it holier and cleaner, we would not have the wise men on our lawns or on our fireplaces. You know who these dudes were? We forget to mention that the wise men were far from being good church folk. They were Zoroastrians. Y'all know that? They were astrologists. They believed the stars could tell you about yourself. They were the ones who said, hey, go check out your sign in the paper this morning, right? They were magi. You know what magi is short for? Magicians. They were called wise men because their actions might have been wise politically and spiritually for their version of spirituality. I did a little study on the magi. And anywhere from Persia to India or Egypt, some of these magi taught the future resurrection of men to a deathless existence. Some formed caste of priests called shamans and were skilled in oniromancy, astrology, astronomy, and magic. The word magic is derived from the religious learning and occultic practices of the magi. The magi were first. Magic, the term, was second. And ancient mystics, as ancient mystics, they believed in the possibility of union with the divine nature by means of ecstatic contemplation, reliance on spiritual intuition as a means of acquiring knowledge and mysteries inaccessible to the understanding. How can I put it? They were spiritually liberal. And what theologically proper Christians, and I would call pure pagan in their belief. I would call them pagans. That's what they were. I can imagine, along with the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they rolled up with astrological tattoos on their bodies and faces, with looking glasses, portable crystal balls on their belts, with talismans. That's rabbit foot feet, right? And and good luck, charms in their hands, possibly perfume in a raid, in offensive ways, religious ways of Jews they were visiting. They were possibly... I'm trying not to be too stereotypical, Aladdin-looking brothers. Right? Some of the Magi helped write 
the Book of the Dead. Remember the mummy movie? They were the first, some people believe, to wear dreads and possibly believed in some spiritual property of hair. To some of them, their music was spiritual, never just entertainment. They were mystic travelers and intuitive spiritualists, what some might call religious vagabonds, gypsies, multicultural to the nth degree, ethnically and spiritually so. They were eclectics. They were real bohemians, at least spiritually speaking, in the context of the Bible. And some might think I've gone a little extreme calling the Magi the so-called wise men bohemian. Well, if I could only share with you all that I, that I research, what I research about the countries and cultures Magi were from, it would make the modern-day spiritual Magi look like Father knows best, right? The spiritual folk today, I was, again, had a conversation with a friend of mine, and he was like, you know what? We were talking about spirituality among black folks. He says, like, something happened almost overnight. Like, in the last couple years, we all in the chakras and comedic Egyptian, comedic spirituality and astral projection and all, I mean, just crazy stuff. One day we were in the church shouting and praising God. The next day we chanting and then going to brunch afterwards, right? What happened? Let me tell you something. The spirituality you think you're delving in ain't got nothing on what the wise men possibly could have been in. Okay? So I want to set you up like that. So as a good Presbyterian believing the sovereignty of God, believing he wanted and invited them, what was God thinking and doing? If this is true, what was he thinking? I know if I wrote the story, I wouldn't have done it. I would have had some good dudes in there around Jesus. It's Jesus. <laughs> and then he knew, looking ahead, they're going to have that. We're going to put this on our mantelpiece. We're going to put a bunch of uh, Zoroastrians on our mantelpiece. God has opened the door to a mess. Think about it. Think about the Great Commission. Go. Go into all the world. What? You about to make this thing messy, God. Please, not those people. Bring them in. No, we don't want church with folk who don't believe exactly like, act like we act. We want them to struggle in the same way we struggle. At the same time we struggle. Right? At the same spiritual level. You know, maybe our nativity scenes need to be redeemed and teach us in a new light that Christmas is not about people coming being right or having all the right people sing and doing all the right things around Jesus. The Magi's presence teach and tell us from Scripture that Christmas, the coming of Jesus, is about his work as the Messiah to redeem the world from his darkness, sin, and evil. That Christmas is about drawing people to himself out of darkness who might look a lot like who we would say are living in darkness and bringing them into his light. To having them in his house. Maybe it's time that some of us, me included, man, I don't always trust Jesus and God and who he draws. 
You know, as a pastor of this church for 18 years, planting the church and all that, I've seen him bring people here and I'm thinking, why? I mean, even today, folk come in. Well, you know, um, Pastor, um, I met with so-and-so, one of the elders or something. I met with so-and-so, let me tell you what they believe. Oh, why can't they go to the other church? Right? Why can't they be more like me? Why can't they be easier to disciple? Why can't they fit into our nativity set up in here? Right? Maybe it's time, like some of us, like I said, me included, trust Jesus to be king more than our ability to keep things from being messy. You ever wondered that people seeking the truth ain't coming to see you and me? That they're not coming to make you and me happy? They're not even coming to give you a personal sense of affirmation for your faith. But to worship the king, to let the light does what light does, to save them. To bring them out of darkness. And you know, it's funny. It's like we become this shadow in front of the light. Be like us or whatever. Or please get away or quit asking that question or whatever. Be straight. Quit struggling with your sexuality. Like, stop. Please stop. And we kind of create this shadow in front of the light. We don't go, here he is. We go, not you. Back to the evil magi practices for a minute. And I might mention all that stuff was that Zoroastrianism and Harry Potterism. Just kidding. <laughs> Where's Amari? Shouldn't be reading them books, you know. I know you like some Harry Potter. Come on, man. You know, Grandmama wouldn't approve of no Harry Potter. I mean, my mama wouldn't let me watch um, He-Man because of the, because of Skeletor saying by the power of Grayskull. My mama's like, no, not in this house ain't no power of Grayskull. That's a cultic. No. I'm like, you going to take them wise men down? No. Okay. But back to the evil magi practice for a minute. Two things were key to the story. One got them to Jesus, the other saved there in Jesus' life. You know, the magi practiced and believed in two very pagan things. Did you hear me say pagan? I don't, I don't think this is what we should be doing. Astrology and again, oniromancy. Astrology, the belief that the stars said things and directed their lives. Right? I don't think you should look at the stars and say, ah, I know what I'm going to do today. No. You should look at the stars and say, wow, look what God did today, right? So look, look, gaze. Remember, Amari, you got that little thing on your phone? Amari would be like, that's Saturn. I'm like, what? Thank you, God, right? Okay, we don't go, Saturn, all right, mm, I feel, whatever. And, and Oniromancy, the belief that dreams were important, right? They portals, ways for the gods and angelic beings to talk to you. They didn't get it from Sunday school. 
No, their pagan religion taught it to them. And they knew, all they knew was the star says the king is there and the dream said, don't go back to Herod about where Jesus was so he would not be killed. God used, he communicated, dare I say it, gave these non-Jews and used their pagan guiding principles and guiding stars to lead them to the truth, right? He drew them in a way that he alone could. Now, we are not authorized. I'm not here to tell you, hey, use some of these means to be drawn by God because he's given us very specific means to come to him. But he's God. He had them believe some ancient astrological, they, they believe some ancient astrological theory. See a star, they believed it, they went. Then they depended on our ability to channel truth through dreams to come to and give proper recognition to Jesus. Many of us church people, I'm one too, want people to come down the aisle crying and weeping without question, burning their non-Christian CDs. Oh, Lord, I burned some good ones. <laughs> couldn't keep Prince, couldn't keep Michael Jackson either. Yeah, I, got, I, I burned all that. Man, I had a, and I'm going to tell you, it was a high time in the Lord too. I wouldn't turn it, I wouldn't give it back. I would just take the CDs back. And yes, repentance is a cornerstone of coming to Jesus. I'm not throwing any of that out. And you got to claim him. You, him is Lord. And our Lord, the Christ, the Lord Jesus, draws people to one truth, to one person, to one place of peace, to one hope, to one salvation, but through a myriad of questions and journeys. You know, I think we see Christianity as this, as this like, this, this one path, right? This, this one line from you wrong to you finally right. When actually it's like a, a 3D X and Y axis with Jesus at the center. And we're coming from multiple journeys. But, the same, but here's the deal. The way, the truth, and the life is drawing us from multiple journeys. That's why he can reach anybody anywhere. Because you don't have to be right here on this straight line to come to Jesus. You just have to go to, straight to the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. But it's hard when we hear people's stories. Because we can't see the three-dimensional spherical reality where people are in, in many ways in their lives. Some people are financially pagan. Right? Some people are so screwed up in this way or that way or every way. And it does, we, we pull out a two, a couple. If, if, sec, if your sexuality is this way, if, what's another one? Uh, just the many, sexuality is a big one right now, right? Like if any of those, you know, if you in that quadrant being drawn to Jesus, you got to actually jump to another quadrant to be drawn to Jesus. Why? They came from the east. They didn't come from the west. They didn't come from the north or the south. Let me say this. No one came or comes to Christ for all the good reasons. You know why I came to Christ? I was failing algebra. Mm -hmm. I was in eighth grade. My mom became a Christian, and she was talking about this power of God. She's like, you know, if you pray, God can give you what you want. And she was a little bit in, you know, the, the, the sort of miracle. I'm not throwing that all out either. So hear me when I say this. I'm not making fun of it. She was in more of the miracle prosperity gospel. If you pray, God gives you what you want. 
And I did it. I came to Christ, and my grades went up. <laughs> and I thought, Christianity, love it. <laughs> right? Why'd you come? What good-looking guy or pretty girl was at that meeting? Hmm? Who'd you want to impress? What pagan reason actually got you in the door for the first time? Now, not all of us are what I would describe as covenant children. You were born into it, right? What brought you? In fact, are you sure every reason you're here and still keep coming is Christ-centered? Or is he just drawing you? In this way, we're all magi. We follow the star of community or some dream or belonging or, you know, sometimes I keep being a Christian, y'all, because I just want to feel right. Because I want to feel like I'm on the right side. Right? Not that Jesus is on my side in the gospel, but I want to feel like I am on the right side. All these choices in the world, oh my goodness, all the stuff in the news. Let me just go with Christianity today. Some of us follow the star family values. We heard a guy named Dobson. Right? We were like, man, that sounds right for my family. Right? We saw everybody going up to accept Jesus. We went to. Let me say this, especially at this church, with this diversity of people, it is easy to wonder whether you belong because you're different. You have a different journey. I remember uh, when I went to, when I was younger, about um, 17 uh, or 18, I would go to the prison ministry um, with, with some of the pastors and ministers. This is when I first thought I wanted to be in ministry, and I started preaching at the prison with the prison ministry. And I remember riding the, the van with the rest of the pastors. I wasn't supposed to be there. I'm too young. But anyway, so one of the guys says, Howard, you're going to share your heart today at the prison. What? Yep, you're going to get up and preach. Say something for the Lord. I'm like, great. You know what I begin to think? I ain't got nothing to my journey. I remember Mike Higgins, pastor, PCA pastor in St. Louis. You know where he found God? He said, in a trash can, in a dumpster, running from, running from the cops after stealing cars. He said he heard God's voice in the dumpster. How did Howard come to faith? He was afraid he was going to pass algebra, fail algebra. My journey ain't nothing. I don't have no powerful nothing. But boy, since the journey has started, I got some stories now, y'all. And that's in sanctification. That's God saving and changing me more into the likeness of his son. Let me finish this up. Like the Magi in our story, the world, all of it, is who Jesus wants. That's who he drew. I think it's easy as believers to just live in the lap 
right, of Christian luxury and privilege. I do it all the time. And I fail to realize my king is actively drawing people to himself. Jesus wants you too, y'all, whoever you are. Maybe y'all ain't here. Maybe you just listening on YouTube. But he wants you too. You, whoever's listening. He wants you to hang out. Even before you know everything about him. He wants you to hang out. Maybe you're going to say some wrong prayers. Come on. Maybe you have a defined understanding of your spirituality. you just spiritual. You got Gandhi over here, Buddha over here, Confucius over here, and you just want to learn more about Jesus. Yeah. You the kind of person he wants. You know, everybody into the spiritual stuff, all in palm, re- palm reading is good again. What? Combine that with a little THC in various ways, you could. Yeah. You folk popped up on the THC? Yeah. He don't mind the smell of weed. He, it won't stop him. You can smoke up the car. He's right there. Secondhand smoke will not take away his divinity. So go on. Puff, puff. He's Lord. Some of you, you want to be as righteous and conservative as you want to? He like it on the left. And he loves it on the right, too. Go on. Jesus can read CNBC and doesn't break a sweat. He reads Fox and he doesn't break a sweat. We are the ghetto of his people. A mix of people, his people who he comes to be with and draw to himself and possibly and surely be their Lord. See, that's the point here, y'all. They came to worship him and they brought gifts that declared his kingship. But do you know it was almost like he was flipping it on them? You think you're the seeker? (sighs) Jesus was always the seeker in the story, seeking you. You think you're the spiritualist? The one who created the world out of nothing? Who put the soul and spirit of every human being in this world with delicacy? So delicate that each of us can have a personality so that you can even come up with fake pagan beliefs. He gave you that brain. You think you outdoing him or can or that he's afraid of you? I don't care what going on in your life spiritually or what you watching or what you smoking or what you drinking or who you slept with last night or who you going to sleep with tonight nothing can stop the light of Jesus nothing nothing not even when I try to push him away let me close with this song 
We sing it here. Come, you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. I will rise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. So come, you thirsty. And boy, we spiritually thirsty in more ways than one. <laughs> come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance. Every grace. That means the gift of God for you. You think you bring him gifts, right? He got one for you. True belief, true repentance that brings you nigh. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Don't tarry till you're better. You are best where Jesus has you right now for him to save you. Right. He alone draws you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you reach them, which is us. Lord, oh my gosh, it's so easy for us as we're infighting about all, my, all kind of messes churches to forget the, the outreach, to forget the light shining in darkness, to forget, Lord, that you are bringing the, the, the most spiritually confused and twisted and philosophically and politically and financially and oppressively confused group of people into your space. Remind us of that. Lord, I pray right now, we turn our Christmas lights on, we will remember this, that he is the light that draws men and women out of darkness. And he draws the darkness out of them. Please, Lord, remind us. Remind us, Lord, as we look at our friends and family this Christmas that come around and have different values, different thoughts, all kind of crazy, profane words, looking at different things that we don't want to look at, Lord. Help us, God, to know that our Lord is supreme, that he stands powerful enough if we would move out of the way and be used to usher in his presence more than feeling like we're protecting him against them. Help us, Lord, to open our mouths right? To, to bring the nativity set wherever we are, to open our mouths to our neighbors and say, hey, let me just tell you, let me just drop Jesus on you. Without me trying to do apologetics against your spirituality right now, let me just tell you about him. Help us to tell others about him. Use this Christmas season, Lord, in the spirit of it, whatever it's called, Lord, of giving and happiness and parties and cookies and everything else, Lord. Use it for your glory. You be the king. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.